Hey, what's up, guys? It's Pete Mundo, and we are Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of HeartlandCollegeSports.com. And it's time to recap the final weekend in the Big 12 Conference for the regular season. And I am distraught. I'm sure you are as well. And I know it's cliche, and I understand I say it every year, but where the heck did it go? I mean, seriously, where did it go? It just goes by in the blink of an eye. It's ridiculous. But uh, thanks so much for joining us, being a part of the show. If you're listening on the podcast, uh, please do leave us a rating, review, subscribe, and we will send you a free Heartland College Sports koozie. All you have to do um, to get that is leave us a rating and review and send me a screenshot of that rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. And shout out to uh, Victor Reyes. He is the winner of the Heartland College Sports uh, Big 12 Fantasy Football League this year. So Victor is going to be getting some sweet HCS gear for uh, winning the Fantasy Football League this year. Congrats to him. And please do, guys, consider uh, becoming a Patreon member of Heartland College Sports. Just go to patreon.com slash Sports, and we will uh, explain to you a little bit more about what we're doing, why we don't want to give you more advertisements, um, especially on the website, and how we really want to take this thing to the next level, and that can be done with your help. So go to patreon.com slash heartlandcollegesports. All right, let's start recapping uh, the final weekend of Big 12 football in the regular season, and we'll go in order of the game. Start off with Texas and Texas Tech. The Longhorns roll to a 49-24 victory. This game started off exactly like I feared it would for Texas, and that is 11 a.m., rainy weather in Austin, uh, a mediocre season coming to an end, and what happened? Tech went up 14-0. Now, the problem after that is that uh, Tech got outscored 49-10, so didn't go well for the Red Raiders after that 14-0 lead early on. Texas got itself together. 348 passing yards for Sam Ellinger. Roshan Johnson, 100-plus rushing yards. Devin DuVernay, 100-plus receiving yards for the fifth time in six games. And uh, what I take away from this game for Texas is it essentially was a microcosm of the Texas season in that you don't know what you're going to get. This team finished up 7-5. and five. Sam Ellinger puts in an Instagram post, these are not our expectations But here's the problem for Sam Ellinger. When you actually look at the results of the past decade, 7-5 is kind of what Texas football has been for a decade now. Last year's 10-4 season was the outlier, not the norm. So, you know, I know that Chris Del Conte came out after the game and said that he is pleased with the direction of this program. I understand he said that, and he should feel okay about that. But you know what? When you go 10-4 last year, get to the Big 12 title game, and then beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl, come into this year top 10 in the preseason, give LSU a run for its money, which, by the way, that's the best game Texas played all year. And that LSU team, you see what they did to A&M over the weekend? That's a damn good team. And then to unravel, I know they had injuries, but to unravel like this Longhorns team did this year, it can't happen. It's unacceptable. It is unacceptable, and when you look at what is happening within the state with what Matt Rule is doing at Baylor, with what Ed Orgeron did at LSU, the job that Tom Herman almost had, and then you look at Texas at 7-5, and five, I mean, that just makes it that much worse right now. So, um, And one thing I always wonder, and, and I know that these broadcasters call a lot of games, 
But when I hear Brock Heward rave about the Longhorns' offensive line, I say to myself, dude, what games have you been watching? And on top of that, do you do any research? I mean, I've called college football games before, not at the D1 level, but I've called FCS games before in my broadcasting career. You know, there's these things called game notes, and you typically do a little bit of research before you get on the broadcast. Texas had given up the most sacks in the Big 12 entering the game. But somehow, you've got Brock Heward uh, saying the offensive line has been, you know, stout or outstanding or whatever the phrase was that he used. I put it up on our Twitter page at Heartland underscore CS. And that's been a major problem this year. The running game has not been consistent. I know that they've dealt with injuries in the backfield. But a large part of that is because of a leaky offensive line. And Herb Hand was a guy who was supposed to come in here and fix the offensive line, and he is not. So uh, this Texas team has a lot to work on this offseason, and it's not been good. Now for Texas Tech, in this loss to Texas, we'll get to all the games here coming up in a second. We're going in order. How many fades to the corner of the end zone is Texas Tech going to try? It's sexy, but it rarely works. It rarely works. Tech's got to get better on both sides of the line. There's no doubt about it. You know want a, you want a perfect example of how and why. Tech finished sixth in the Big 12 in rushing attempts and tied for eighth in the Big 12 in yards per carry. That means they want to run the ball more than they do, and they just don't do it well enough. They have got to improve on both lines, and the secondary was terrible again on Saturday. They've got good individual players in that secondary. Fields, Coleman, Fry, they're good players, But together, that unit stinks. The unit absolutely stinks. And um, Matt Wells has a lot of work to do. I'd say outside of um, Les Miles at Kansas, he's got the most work to do in the conference to try to rebuild this thing. It's not going to be easy with the depth of this team. Uh, But especially that offensive line. Gave up four sacks, uh, eight tackles for loss. I don't know if Jack Anderson's coming back next year for a senior year. I hope he does for tech's sake, but there is a lot of work to be done there in Lubbock moving forward. Let's go to the second Friday game. West Virginia, TCU. The Mountaineers pull off the upset uh, over TCU 20-17. This is a bad loss for TCU, by the way. You outgained West Virginia 297-244. You won the turnover margin, and you lost as a 13-point favor. How many times has that happened in Gary Patterson's career? That is a terrible loss for Gary Patterson's team. And it had bowl eligibility on the line on senior day. I mean, you had everything to play for if you're this TCU team. And you were nearly a two-touchdown favorite, and you blew it. This is the sixth loss this season for TCU by seven points or less. Um, Gary Patterson said after the game, he's not evaluating Sonny Cumbie. He was a little, and I get it. He was ticked off after the game. Patterson said, quote, this pressure will be done in a minute. If you keep asking about Sonny Cumbie, uh, he went on to also say, quote, only a few times in my life since I've been here that we've lost when holding a team under 300 yards. And that's happened twice this year, plain and simple. Uh, Yeah. I mean, that, that has happened twice this year. The pass rush was not there this year for TCU, but the defense overall was still very good. And this offense could not get it going. I understand that you're working in a true freshman quarterback in Max Duggan. Uh, And I have been a huge supporter of Max Duggan 
this season, saying, young guy, give him a shot. You got to work through the Kings if you think he's the best man for the job. But I worry about him as a passer. We watched him all year, and I don't feel like he has grown exponentially as a passer. Good runner, but I am wildly concerned about him as a passer and his ability to improve as a passer. And if he can't be a better passer than what we saw this year, he can't be a Big 12 quarterback that's going to compete for a conference title. Um, Now, I know Jalen Rager in the game yesterday or Friday has some things that are going to, you know, nag him. He obviously returned a punt for a touchdown, but on that first drive for TCU, he had a third down pass slip through his hands, and that is very un-Jalen Rager-like. But think about Brock Purdy last year and how much better he got as a passer. I didn't see that happening for Max Duggan. This was the least efficient passing team in the Big 12 by a wide margin this year. On Periscope, by the way, we're on Periscope and Facebook Live. Leave your questions and comments there. Uh, Pete, who do you think will start next year for TCU with Duggan and Michael Collins? You know, I didn't love what I saw from Michael Collins last year, uh, so I don't, I can't say I'll go back to Michael Collins. He was kind of a statue back there. I think Duggan's your best bet. But, you know, think about what Spencer Sanders did this year. He improved. You saw that every game. You could see improvement. I didn't see improvement like I wanted to see from Max Duggan. I mean, he got more effective as the year went on, but that's just because he ran more, and he's a good runner. But I got to see that progression as a passer, and I didn't see it at times from Max Duggan this year. So I I would be shocked if Sonny Cumbie's back. I think Gary Patterson's very frustrated with how the season went especially on that side of the ball. Uh, I would be very surprised if Sonny Cumbie is uh, back as the TCU offensive coordinator. Now let's talk about the Mountaineers, all right? I don't want to take anything away from West Virginia, who goes on the road as a double-digit favorite and wins this game. They win two of their final three games on the road. They played Oklahoma State close at home, a top 25 team. This is a great finish for Neil Brown, and this is absolutely something to build on. This defensive line was outstanding all year long. Two sacks, seven tackles for loss yesterday or on Friday. Six quarterback hurries. Uh, Jared Dagey at quarterback was not great. Uh, Three interceptions, but he was definitely just more explosive. You know, he he brings an element to this offense that Austin Kendall did not. By the way, there's a picture of Austin Kendall walking off the field on Friday when the rest of the team is still on the field celebrating. I don't like to put too much judgment in the one picture, but I'll be honest, it doesn't look good. does not look good. So West Virginia and Neil Brown closes this season um, incredibly well and on a very positive note. You know, 5-7 and seven is not the expectations for any Mountaineers fan, but considering this team was looking at 3-9 three and nine three, four weeks ago, uh, you know, going into these final three games, they were underdogs in each one by wide margins, and they win two of three, both on the road. That is fantastic for Neil Brown. Great momentum for the offseason. And now both these teams can focus on recruiting. You know, they both uh, finished up five and seven. Their early signing period begins December 18th. And you know what? It's time to hit it and hit it hard for uh, for West Virginia and for TCU, for that matter. We'll talk about that, of course, more as the offseason progresses. I'm Pete Mundo. We're heartlandcollegesports.com, your Big 12 independent digital media outlet. Appreciate you guys joining us, being a part of the show on Facebook Live, on Periscope, on YouTube, and, of course, on the podcast. Leave us that rating and review. Helps us tremendously, and we'll send you a free koozie in return when you leave the rating and review and send us a screenshot to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, 
at heartlandcollegesports.com. All right, and we are brought to you by mybookie.ag. Big 12 championship this weekend. You want to place your bets. Go to mybookie.ag. Use the promo code BIG12. That's BIG12 for a 100% sign-up bonus. They've been outstanding to work with all season. They're becoming great partners of Heartland College Sports. And you know what? The picks are on fire. They went 4-2 and two this past weekend because I gave you a bonus pick. Um, and on top of that, in the past month, the picks are 18-5-1. We are rolling going into the Big 12 championship game. And then, by the way, you got bowl games to, to bet on. So mybookie.ag... Promo code BIG12, that's BIG12, for a 100% sign-up bonus. So we appreciate uh, all you guys who are using our partners there at mybookie.ag. And we're using them as well. We're using them as well. All right, uh, let's get to Baylor smoking Kansas, 61-6. I mean, this game got off to a crazy good start for Baylor. First three possessions, three touchdowns. On those drives, the Bears went 199 yards on 14 plays. 14.2 yards per play. That's an incredible number. 21-0 lead in the first quarter. Jermichael Hasty ran the ball like a beast, especially in the uh, red zone. 14 carries, 92 yards, three touchdowns. As a team, think about what Baylor did as a team here. All right? As a team, Baylor rushed for 264 yards. The defense had four interceptions, two sacks, and seven tackles for loss. This is not your father's Baylor team. I know I say it all the time, but I'm saying it because the dopey national pundits aren't listening. Somebody get this damn podcast into the hands of those people. Because when I've got Des Howard talking about how Texas and Baylor is going to be a high-scoring game, it's like, dude, do you watch the games? Do you watch the damn games? This team is built on defense and turning the ball over and trying to run it down your throat. They've got the top turnover margin in the Big 12. They've got the uh, top 10 defense in terms of efficiency in the country. This team is built on that side of the ball. And maybe one day, maybe one day, you know, the national pundits will get that. We'll understand that. Um, So this game, there's not a whole lot to say right now uh, in terms of how this game went. Baylor crushed it. Absolutely crushed it. Defense forced six turnovers, two muff punts early in the game. Uh, Now let's talk about college football playoff. Just touch on it briefly because Joel asked about it on Facebook Live. If Baylor wins out, um, is it enough to make the college football playoff? Can they beat a Pac-12 champ with a week schedule? Boy, I think they should. I think they should. Uh, Here's what is going to be interesting this week. Watch what the college football playoff committee does with Iowa State, Kansas State, and Oklahoma State. I assume Iowa State's out of the top 25. Kansas State, in my opinion, should be in the top 25. I think Oklahoma State should stay in the top 25, even though it lost to OU. If the Big 12 has four top 25 teams, that's a great sign for Baylor if it wins on Saturday. If the Big 12 only has two, or you know, I hope it's three at least, But if it only has Baylor and OU ranked, that's going to be a sign from the committee that the Big 12 is not going to get the benefit of the doubt. I hate to say it, but that's what's going to happen here. I still think Baylor's a long shot, and that pains me to say because I believe they uh, are certainly going to be worthy of it if they win on Saturday. 
But they got the Alabama loss. They needed that. Minnesota lost. They need Ohio State to win this weekend. They need Clemson to take care of business. Then in the SEC, they need LSU to take care of business. Ideally, Oregon beats Utah. Baylor beats OU. And boom, you got a conversation there for the number four spot. But it pains me to say it, but I really believe after 2014 that, uh, you know, the committee, they're human beings. There are human elements to this. And if all else is equal between a Baylor and a major state school, the major state school is going to get in. We saw it with Ohio State in 2014, and uh, that was a raw deal. It was BS, but I would not be shocked if it played out fairly similarly this year with Baylor and whoever they might be going up against. Uh, So I'm pulling for the Bears. I'm pulling for any Big 12 team to make the college football playoff. I shouldn't say that. I mean, I'm not pulling for Baylor to beat OU. I want to see the Big 12 get a shot in the college football playoff, however that might be. So I'm looking forward to that game this weekend. And of course, we'll have it all covered for you on the podcast this week. For Kansas, after this blowout loss, got to find a decent quarterback. You know, got got to find a decent quarterback. Carter Stanley, it's amazing how hot and cold Carter Stanley and the Brent Deerman offense was here over the last few weeks. Either really good putting up 40-plus or putting up a total, you know, crapper of a game. Stanley, 92 passing yards on 13 passes, zero touchdowns, three picks. A horrible way to end the season, no momentum, but still, you look at it, three and nine for less miles, three close losses to Iowa State, Texas, and West Virginia. And now let's see how Les can recruit this thing going forward. All right, they got a top 30 class by rivals. Let's see if they can maintain it uh, moving ahead. K-State, Iowa State, Farmageddon. Uh, Iowa State had 51 rushing yards in this loss. 27-17 K-State win in Manhattan on Saturday night. Iowa State with 51 rushing yards, 2.1 yards per carry, to Kansas State's 231 rushing yards for 4.7 yards per carry. That's what this game came down to. All right, that's exactly what the game came down to. You know why? Because it was, you know, the wind was whipping at 40, 50 miles an hour. You saw Brock Purdy's passes floating through the wind there, and it did not go as he had planned uh, on Saturday night in Manhattan. So Iowa State's running game has been up and down all season long. This should not shock anybody, but a couple of things went in uh, K-State's favor here on Saturday night. Iowa State did not win the penalty battle. They usually do. They had eight penalties for 55 yards. K-State had five for 33. And the special teams went in Kansas State's favor. You had Joshua Youngblood starting the game off with a kick uh, return for a touchdown, 93 yards to the house. And Iowa State was inconsistent in that second half with three total points. And one of 13 on third downs. This was a really disappointing loss for the Cyclones. You know, you think about it, Iowa State finishes at 7-5, and five, and uh, you can look at basically every game and say, well, they were right in it. They were right in the game. This one, it, it just felt like it was K-State's night. And Iowa State's the better team. All right? Talent-wise, Iowa State is far superior to what Kansas State has, which means Matt Campbell, which usually doesn't happen, got outcoached, his team was, you know, the less physical team in this game. And they were flat at times. They were flat. 
And that's something I usually, and, and none of us can usually say about Iowa State, but they were. Uh, and, and it was weird. After the game on Twitter, I had people trolling me because I was high in Iowa State before the season. I thought they'd reach the Big 12 title game, and obviously 7-5 and five is not close to that. But this weird Chris Kleiman versus Matt Campbell debate broke out on Twitter, and it's just dumb. Like, these are not mutually exclusive options, okay? I think Chris Kleiman's a great coach. I think he did an incredible job with this team, getting it to eight wins. I still think Matt Campbell's a great coach. I think he's building a program for the long term in in Ames, Iowa, which, you know, when's the last time we could have said that? Both these guys are great coaches. You don't have to pick one. All right? You don't have to pick one. I'm sorry. But this was a disappointing loss. Now, for Kansas State, um, to think about this team and how it played and, and winning eight games this year, and I wrote this on Twitter uh, on Saturday night at Heartland underscore CS. You can find us there. I said I counted four of the eight wins for Kansas State where they beat a team that had more talent than them. Mississippi State, TCU, OU, Iowa State. This is all about who was coaching this team. This is all about who was leading this team. Chris Kleiman has proven to be an incredible hire for the Kansas State Wildcats. An incredible hire. And I'm not sure if there are more than five coaches in America who could have coached this Kansas State team to eight wins. That's how good of a job this guy did. Uh, That's how good this was. An incredible year for Chris Kleiman. And by the way, I saw this on a local uh, Kansas City news outlet TV channel. Uh, One of the local news outlets had a graphic up because Mizzou just fired Barry Odom. And they had rumors of Chris Kleiman going to Mizzou. I mean, what Mizzou homer? What hack of a Mizzou homer possibly thinks that Chris Kleiman is going over to Mizzou? Why? Because it's in the SEC? Ooh, the SEC. Great at, at the top, mediocre to bad across the rest of the conference. What a joke. Chris Kleiman's not going to Mizzou, you fool. It's just not happening. It was 41 Action News in Kansas City. I I almost just, I was, you know, drinking a beer at the time. I almost threw it up because I was so flabbergasted by the graphic. Chris Kleiman's at K-State. He's the perfect fit for K-State, and he's not going anywhere. Let's talk Bedlam. OU takes care of business against Oklahoma State 34-16. Kind of a boring game, you know? I I hate to say it, but just a boring game. Typically when uh, Bedlam is like a a 10-point margin in the second or third quarter, you're like, oh, it's like a field goal in the Big Ten. But because of Oklahoma State's lack of explosiveness on the offensive side of the ball, missing Spencer Sanders, missing Tylen Wallace, you know, OU got up a touchdown 10 points. It kind of felt like the game was over. But this is a good road win for the Sooners. Top 25 opponents held the Cowboys to 340 total yards. And Chuba Hubbard was held in check, 100 yards, but uh, along at 22 and 4.3 yards per carry. Offensively for OU, 44 carries to just 17 passes. Uh, Jalen Hurts uh, was money on both ends, 13 for 16, 163 through the air. And then, of course, he controlled the pace very well on the ground. And that's what Jalen Hurts, for as critical as I've been of Jalen Hurts this season, and I believe a lot of it is obviously fair, He does control the game well and does exactly what Lincoln Riley is looking for in some of these critical moments. 
Um, when they're up 17 to 14 points in this game, it just feels like more because Hertz knows exactly what Riley wants to do. He, by the way, cut out the turnovers on Saturday night, which had plagued him as of late. And it's exactly the game you want to see from Jalen Hurts as you gear up for the Big 12 title game in Baylor and hopefully a spot in the college football playoff after that. So um, give Oklahoma State's defense credit, though. It did limit the big plays. It kept them in check. CeeDee Lamb, four catches, 36 yards. Led the team in catches and yards, which is, you know, highly unusual for an Oklahoma offense. But they just wore, they just wore the Cowboys down. No other way to put it. They wore the Cowboys down. Um, and Drew Brown just couldn't get it going. And yes, by the way, a terrible, terrible overturned call. Uh, the Drew Brown interception along the right sideline should not have been overturned. I believe it was Parnell Motley with the interception. Should not have been overturned, but obviously did not affect the outcome of the uh, of the game. Now, Mike Gundy. Does Mike Gundy have an OU problem? Yes, he does. He is 2-13 against the Sooners all time. Guess what? The entire Big 12 for the past decade to decade and a half has an OU problem. So Oklahoma State fans, a portion of them are freaking out over Mike Gundy losing again to OU. Now, OU is, is a college football playoff contender, and you are without your starting quarterback and your starting star wide receiver. And you know what? You had this game within reach at halftime. Like, Mike Gundy is not the reason this team lost yesterday. Is He's just not. All right? Now, uh, we can have the recruiting conversation down the line. Now is not the time to have it about how Mike Gundy maybe doesn't recruit well enough based on what the team has done and the program has done the past decade or so. But Mike Gundy is not the reason that Oklahoma State is not beating OU a couple more times over the past 15 years. He's not. All right? I mean, sorry. Not the case. Everybody in the conference has an OU problem. Maybe Gundy's is a little bit worse than it should be based on how good his teams have been, but it is not unique to Mike Gundy. Oklahoma is on a historic run, even by their own standards, going for a fifth straight Big 12 title, third berth potentially in the college football playoff in the past four years, the past two Heisman winners. I mean, this team is on a historic run, and Lincoln Riley has taken it to the next level from where Bob Stoops had it. But uh, Mike Gundy is not the problem right now for Oklahoma State, all right? He's not. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. We are recapping and just recap the final week of college football in the Big 12 regular season. We've got the championship game this weekend. We've got an extra podcast coming your way this week. We'll do a full preview with somebody from the OU side, somebody that knows Baylor, and then our regular podcast as well will be dropping on Wednesday. So go subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. So go check them out there. We appreciate you guys. Have a great rest of uh, your week. Looking forward to the Big 12 title game this Saturday at AT&T Stadium. Leave us that rating and review and also check out mybookie.ag to place your bets. Use the promo code BIG12, that's BIG12, for a 100% sign-up bonus. And also check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash heartlandcollegesports.com. I'm Pete Mundo. You guys are the best, and we'll talk to you this week on the podcast. Enjoy it, and have a great rest of the week.